Welcome to The Little Guys, a show dedicated to exploring the craft of indie artists of any medium. This episode, I am joined by Austin Dunn, a photographer and video essayist currently based out of Orlando, Florida. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. All right, and uh, today we're going to talk about your photography. That's right, yeah. Uh, how long have you been doing this? Uh, I th- probably since October 2017. Initially, I... I was joining uh, the film bachelors at, at Full Sail, and I switched um, probably four months in. And I initially purchased a camera because I was like, "Oh, I'm going to be doing loads of short films right. uh, and filming stuff like that." And uh, obviously, I now that I was switched out of film and I was studying media and communications, I wasn't using my camera for anything. So I said, "Well, I've got a few photographer friends because there's." Like photographers are a dime a dozen in MCBS, so I figured I I probably learn from some of them and uh, take a few photos of my friends or just go out downtown and uh, just get some photos of places or people, and uh, that started in October 2017. So I'd say maybe a little less than two years. Right. So would you say like the people surrounding you is what made you? A photographer, like if you wouldn't have had the photography friends, would your camera just be in your closet for like for better term? Yeah, probably. I I never really sought out photography. I'm not one of those photographers who was like, oh, I was taking pictures with like my dad's old Canon or anything like that. Um, it was pretty much just like that's the circumstances I found myself in, and that's why I started. It's not. I wish there was a more romantic way to say, oh, this is how it started. Right. But you were walking along a forest and found a Polaroid or something. Yeah, very <laughs> pragmatic. Um, so you, um, what's interesting about you and, um, you know, obviously I'll plug your Instagram at the end of this, for mm. all your social medias and everything. Um, what's interesting about it is you've already, it already seems you have a set style. Yeah. Um, usually when I, you know, come across photographers like this early in the game, it's pretty much anything. It's whatever photography book I read last yeah. is what my pictures are. Yeah. Um, and then I have to have a black and white face, um, <laughs> but it seems you've already you've already begun to hone in on what makes uh, a done work. Yeah, done work. Um, can you comment on that? Yeah. So for a while, it was just a matter of taking photos of anything and anyone, and kind of learning how to use different photo editing software and achieve the looks that uh, I thought looked good. Um, so for a while, my feed looked crazy. There was no consistency. The color palette was all over the place. Even just the subject matter was all over the place. I think there is a photo of like a fennec fox. Some guy was carrying a fennec fox around Park Avenue, and I took a picture of that. And then you'd have like some random obscure photo of, I don't know, like a bridge. <laughs> and then I would just be taking the same uh, photos of my same three friends and so yeah I was very lackluster as far as my feed went but at some point I realized through studying media and communications like there's uh, you know there's this type of aesthetic that we can create for ourselves and our aesthetic is going to communicate our brand and I really had to think in terms of okay what kind of brand am I what kind of photography am I settling down on and it wasn't just what am I taking photos of it's how am I making these photos look so that they're unmistakably my own? And I think I really wanted to shoot film 
but it's such a manual and very like intense type of thing to do it's old and it's meticulous and you got to do it in the dark and like dark rooms and stuff like that but I still loved the film look and so I was trying to find ways with with Photoshop and with Lightroom the Adobe software that we had at school how I could create this film look without using film right and I think that's what I ended up doing I wanted to have this film aesthetic but more importantly I wanted my photos to feel like a memory or like a dream almost. So a lot of my feed, uh, the portraits that are featured, it's not like all smiles and chirpy looking people and um, really polished looking faces. It's just almost like ethereal in a lot of sense. Even my landscape photos are really ethereal in that regard. And that's just kind of the way I, I think in my mind. I think my goal is to try and make photos look like they're someone else's memory. That's really interesting uh, for two reasons. One, it sounds like you're taking the like David Bowie approach to your marketing. David Bowie fa famously worked for a marketing firm and then became a musician. And some people say he was so good at marketing himself and becoming you know, Ziggy Stardust and everything else because he knew how to sell. Um, but what's also interesting is, well, what I would like to ask is, um, is there a set um, piece that you've done that you could say is your like that was like that was the one that you were like okay this is my brand I want to make a memory this is the first first one that is that way like the step in that direction yeah so weirdly enough it's this kind of starts out maybe a little like weird but um I had a there's a girl who went to my school named Adara she's from Brazil and I had like curated this massive Pinterest library of all these different concepts I wanted to try right. and there was all sorts of photography in that uh, that Pinterest board and it didn't necessarily it wasn't all like one type of aesthetic or one type of color palette but I was trying to curate scenes and moods um, that I would one day want to try and I usually would just like find like friends or people I knew and would just be like, hey, like, um, I'm trying to really build my page, and uh, I was wondering if like you were just like curious about like modeling at all, and like I usually when they say yeah, dude, I'd love to model for your page, I just send them a Pinterest board and say you know have at it, like choose whatever you'd like. Right. And I, she actually chose a photo that I I didn't expect because like I thought it was just one of those like that I love the aesthetic, but maybe we're, we're a bit too racy for. <laughs> for like people to randomly try with me. And it was like this, this girl smoking a cigarette in a bathtub, um, but it was like not the substance of the photo, but it was like what the mood was conveying. Um, it felt like a movie scene. Yeah. And when she said yes to that, I was like, well, okay. So <laughs> I, I have to like figure out how I'm gonna do that. and. You know, she was really she was she was really professional about it, and um, we ended up taking this photo, and it's her sitting in the in the bathtub smoking a cigarette, and she's a she's an actress too, and so she was like, during that process, she was saying that she was gonna like just kind of like look inward like actors do, and just make emotion and only like just act for this photo, which was a really cool concept, and. 
what it brought out was like this really thoughtful but like sad look in her eyes. Yeah. And so it's not just a pretty naked woman in a bathtub. It's like, man, like what has she gone through? Like what's going through her mind? And then just taking in the like beautiful but tragic nature of the imagery. And I think when I went to go edit that, I, I really went for like a film, like a vintage film kind of look with the color palette. And like when I was done and I was looking at this photo, I was like, man, I, I might really have something here. Yeah. And I think from that point on, I really would work with my models and say, hey, like instead of like just like doing this willy nilly, let's come up with like a concept, a story or a mood. And like I have them act that out. And so I have more success with achieving what's in my mind by by having them act for the picture it's just something i find that works the most for me right uh when was that picture uh when did you like release that um that must have been january or february of 2019 so yeah so really this year you you could say you've like you filled in your shoes you know which way to walk Oh, certainly, because prior to the turn of the new year, I was like, I, I, was, I went back home for three months to Virginia, and um, I was just like contacting all my friends who were like, oh, so you're a photographer now, because <laughs> yeah. they would see my work while I was in, in Florida, and um, I would just go willy-nilly, just shoot so many people, as much as I could, in so yeah. many places, and like, you know, they were happy with the photos, which is always good, and they're not necessarily bad photos, but I was just so upset I was like yearning to like have a look that was mine because I'd look at all these photos and like I would just color correct and direct them for what they kind of wanted they're like I want photos like this and I want photos like that Um, but I kind of had to sit down and tell myself okay but like what are you about and what what's your vision and what's your creative process you have to figure that out and so after the turn of the new year and I came back I was like all right, I'm going to be for real about being purposeful about what I create now. And that's probably why that shoot with Adara turned out the way it did. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I really appreciate how um, you said that like you had to realize this on your own. Um, and that's something that I really want to focus on as I go forward with this project is that like you can be taught anything when it comes to art. I'm sure someone in your life has told you before you realized it that you need your models to be actors in some way and you were yeah. like yeah totally yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, pretend like you're happy and you kept going yeah um, do, you, do you think um, if someone were to really push that idea to you before you realized it yourself that it would have taken hold or do you think you had to figure it out on your own I well there are definitely people who were telling me tons of things that I listen to now well before I was good at photography and I think there's a it's, it's probably true for any artistic field, but there's a bit of an intimidation you feel for professionals who are working around you and you're kind of always looking at their work and you're, you're kind of just wanting to find a way to replicate it, steal like an artist, so to speak. Um, but you're kind of afraid to ask them how they got there. And usually it's very simple, it's very rudimentary, um, but I, I just kind of had uh, a bit of an insecurity about asking, so I just went my own route. But I'd have like you guys on YouTube or like blog posts telling me like do this, do that, and I, I just kind of was like 
ah, I don't want to do that. Like, I think it'd be better this way. I was kind of looking for the easy way out, yeah. to be honest. And um, I think there's definitely a moment where you have to try, try, try of your own volition and see that it's not working <laughs> to really be like, okay, I clearly don't know everything there is to know about this. And there's probably like photographers out there who are a lot more humble and easygoing and are probably going to succeed faster than I did uh, because they're not so prideful. But um, for me, it took it took a bit. Uh, so I think it comes to everyone uh, based on their openness to learn, because like you, you have to be a student. You can be creative and passionate, but you still have to be just pragmatically a student. Um, and you just got to keep going. Um, do you do you think there's a time in like artist careers in general where they stop becoming a student, or do you think you should always be that way? I think you should definitely always be a student. Um, and for something that is so uh, like art is consistently evolving and changing form. So you could like have this aesthetic or like this particular style, and you're like, oh, this is it. Like I'll I'll never depart from this. And that's well and good, but like there are ways that art is going to evolve beyond what we have right now. And if you're just stuck doing what you want because like that's just the way you want to do it, I, the, the struggle to stay relevant might come up. I know like, for instance, I could see last year people were very into the red and blue neon lights. Not, not so much anymore this year, you know. There are new trends that are rising up. And I think it's... It's cool to start trends, but it's not. It's also not a bad thing to kind of ride trends, because like I think what they are is just the way of the connection we have with artists all over the world, like just bringing their their concepts and putting them right in front of us and being like, oh, it'd be really cool to try that. That's a neat idea. And then you do it. You figure out what's a better way to do this one thing, or what's a a different way to take this and you come up with a new concept it's constantly evolving so I think in order to be a part of that you have to not you have to recognize you won't have it all figured out you've got to consistently ask this guy hey like how did you get that shot or this girl over here how did you get this color palette like what are you going for with like what you've got in the highlights and the shadows and I think if you do that you you're pretty you're pretty much set but if you're if you're just going to hold all your information in um i think you've put an expiration date on your relevancy yeah um i definitely agree it's it's always sad to see a you know a creator get aged out for lack of a better term um and then the other side you know you wouldn't have we wouldn't have lovecraft stories the way they were if he didn't have his devout group of friends um the man who wrote psycho um for example a novel uh, was a pen pal of Lovecraft's and without that connection you could make the argument that their art would have suffered because of it um, and so it, it is really admirable that you are able to recognize this, recognize this so early in your career um, I think it's going to save you and the people you work with a lot of heartache <laughs> for sure <laughs> um, I would like to talk to you about a particular piece you put up uh, months ago it's a um, picture of someone with their hands out towards the sky Oh yeah, and the caption is like, like reaching for faith or something of the nature. Ah uh, yeah, reaching for enlightenment. Yeah yeah. So, that particular photo, um, it was it was kind of a dry month as far as like creating content. Right. And I just remember like, 
kind of being stuck at home and not really having anything to do. It must have been like right in the middle of summer or just at the start. So like everybody had like left for vacation or stuff or they just weren't around. Yeah. So I was like, dang, how am I gonna get content? And so I remember just like stepping outside and like looking up at the sun and I did this really weird thing where I just like was thinking like, how long can I stare at the sun? And I ended up like putting that, my hand up to just block it out. And then I noticed, man, I really like the way the light just like went through my fingers like that. And so I, I started to think, what's a cool way I could just like create a concept just by myself? Cause I'm not always gonna have yeah. a, a, like a model on hand and maybe my immediate like landscape isn't always gonna be the most interesting thing to take a picture of. But like, you've gotta work with what you've got. And so, yeah, I ended up like taking that shot where I've got my hand kind of lifted up and the light is just like separating through my fingers in such a way that it kind of makes these beams of light. I must have taken that shot like six or seven times because like <laughs> it just wasn't right. <laughs> but um, what the real beauty of that comes in in the photo is the composite I did on it. Um, I kind of wanted to get a little creative and there was like a kind of like a glitchy VHS effect on yeah. it. I kind of wanted to make it seem kind of like a found footage from a POV kind of thing. I don't really know. I think uh, I was just kind of seeing like what sticks, like what's what's a really creative way to just like play with this. Um, it seemed well liked enough. Uh, I, I think I got a, quite a bit of engagement on it, but it kind of started a new trend of me compositing a bit more in my yeah. photos. I'm, I'm you know, take, don't take this the wrong way, take this as a compliment. Uh, it was the first picture that you posted that I was like, oh my God, this is really cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I know that like, kind of sounds bad because you've been doing this for as long as you've yeah, been yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, like, it, it, you you know, we're, we're both following and friends with lots of photographers and filmmakers and stuff because we're going to a school for it. Mm -hmm. um, and you see a lot of the same, like you said, reds and blues and yeah. profile pictures. Right. And I'm gonna take a picture of someone shoulder and like like shoulder to forehead up. Yeah. And that's gonna be it. There's gonna be no headspace. Right. And it's gonna be neon. Yeah. And you see that over and over and over again. And it was like um, you know, between that and pictures of people from high school I don't talk to anymore on Instagram feed. <laughs> yeah. To have something that like looked like actual time and effort went to it went into it was really interesting. Um but it's also, uh, I, I, for like, I'm gonna keep saying funny throughout the podcast. It's very yeah. funny to hear yeah. that like, it started with you in your yard with nothing else to do because to me it looked like you had this like grand thing to say. Yeah. And then like, All right. How do I? How do I say? It? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, I think um, sometimes desperation creates some of the most interesting content because you're just like, I've got to put something out, but like my hands are tied as far as like what I can make, yeah. and so just kind of like playing in the sandbox of Photoshop and Lightroom and just what you can do in camera. It's just a neat way to kind of test your ability to create in a vacuum. Cause I think that's at a point where you know like, not to sound too, like toot my own horn here, but it's like you're kind of getting the gist of what it means to be an artist. Yeah. You're not just waiting for some something to tell you what to take a picture of. You're kind of like, oh, well like, what can I do with what I have and can I create something that's somewhat compelling? Um, yeah. And I, I'm, I, I'm very interested to, to hear that you thought that was a pretty cool concept. <laughs> yeah. I, and like, I'm not, I don't believe in gassing people up. I, I genuinely thought you had like, you had struck some kind of like, like your muse. Um, but, I, but I'm also at the same time relieved to hear that you're not waiting around for the muse. Right. Um, if you've read Stephen King's On Writing, he talks about this idea of like, 
a beautiful woman coming into your home and like giving you the idea of the great American novel. It's ridiculous. Yeah. He's overweight and he's green skinned and he chain smokes cigarettes. <laughs> but when he comes in, he sits in front of you and asks you what do you have for him. Yeah. So it, it's interesting that you've already seen that where it's like, I'm not waiting on the tools to come to me. I'm taking the tools and I'm making something. Yeah. Um, that is my biggest thing to say for like people when they're starting is like, well, I just don't have anything to write about or to film or yeah. to, to, I don't have any like songs to, to make. Yeah. It's like, well, then make some, write something, take a picture. Yeah. Um, Interesting you should say that. I, when I f was first started, I was running with a lot of other photographers who were obviously way more uh, skilled than me and knew a lot about the tools they were using. Um, and I was very much a beginner. Um, but like once I got out of my comfort zone and started asking the questions, you know, making myself look like the, the novice that I was, um, I would start to get the answers I needed and it wasn't like someone dropped a huge knowledge bomb and I instantly became great overnight, but it was just like little by little. But the, the thing was is that I was persistent. I never allowed a dry spell or kind of like me banging my, my head on the wall because I had a lack of creativity to stop me from just taking a photo. And unfortunately what I noticed was a lot of the people who had got me into photography were just kind of pulling back and were saying things like, uh, well, I don't really like want to take any photos today or I haven't taken photos in a while or they just didn't, they didn't have a muse anymore. And while I understand what that's like, um, it just kind of shocked me that they were stopping altogether because of it and just kind of waiting for yeah. like this eureka moment to get out again. So what, what made me become a, a skilled photographer was just continuing. And even if I was taking a photo where like a whole shoot that I would do where I'd be like, eh, this wasn't exactly my most memorable shoot. I was still learning something. Every time I go to a different location and, and I'd have to manipulate the settings in my camera to get the light exposure that I wanted. Or anytime I came across a new subject and I needed to direct them in a different way than I had with the other subject because they're a different person with a different type of interacting experience with people. It was like this never ending like learning. I just had to keep doing it. And so I think for any starter, while it feels well and good when we hit our muse and we're just flowing or yeah. like when we're like tapping away on the keyboard and our script is just coming to life, I think you, it's easy to love those moments, but like, it's also well and good to cherish the dry spells because it really causes you to dig a little deeper and maybe do something that surprises you. Yeah, I mean, I, I firmly believe that if you don't take stock and appreciate the moments where nothing is happening, you don't understand the, gra the, the gravity of something happening in general. For sure. Um, do you have any other things you wish you could say to other photographers? Like, you've said, like, if anything, take a picture a day to, yeah. to like take it down to a soundbite. Um, do you have anything else you would think you just you if you could like grab someone and scream like what would that <laughs> yeah. be? <laughs> um, I don't be afraid to ask people to criticize you. Yeah. I know a lot of a lot of people starting out are terrified of being under the microscope of someone way more skilled than them. But when a more skilled photographer um, was around, I'd be like, hey, like. As someone who I think is a great photographer and does really great work, I want you to look at my work and tell me, is this good? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Right. What needs improvement? Uh, it's not a comfortable process, and you do get mixed personalities. Some people <laughs> do have quite a high opinion of themselves, and they're like, 
like they don't have the time of day for you yeah. you know what i mean but most of the time people are really going to stop and say oh well like i i could see you were trying to go for this here's a way i would do that um but being as a startup photographer you're like you know it's like photographers already make a lot of people feel kind of like um, intimidated because they're incredibly artsy folks, you know what I mean? Right. Especially when you're like, you're an average Joe on Instagram and your buddy that you know has like this sick looking feed where everything's like so crisp. You're like, <laughs> damn, that guy's feed is on point. I don't want to talk to him though because like he'll probably just be like, peasant, you know what yeah. I mean? But um, but that's usually not the case. So for any startup photog- photographer, I would say just like let them scrutinize your work, learn from the people who are clearly better than you and stick with them. Like if they're gonna, if they're offering to help you or if they're saying like, join me on this shoot, it doesn't matter if you go into that shoot and your, your photos are shitty and that guy's photos are great. Like don't let that discourage you. Ask him how he got that. Right. Um, and I think secondly, I would probably say to, to always steal like an artist. <laughs> I think a lot of the concepts, like for one, there's no photo in, in as much as people say there's no story that hasn't been told yeah. I think there's almost no photo that's never been taken at this point we've had cameras for longer than we've had uh, <laughs> movies so <laughs> I think pretty much any photo that could be taken composition wise has been taken um, but I don't think that should stop us from learning from other pieces of art and trying to replicate it there's no shame in that and I don't think you you like can just sit and never look at anybody else's art and just conjure up this masterpiece. I mean, there is the argument for outsider artists, you know, like these people who die and we go into their house and we find like entire novels uh, and they're studied forever. But like, there's seven million people on the planet and those are like one every 30 to 40 years. Like, yeah. I don't want those chances. No, yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to speak for you, but I'd rather, you know, have people make fun of me and me eventually make money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just important to consume art. Yeah. I think that's a way that you're going to find creativity. Because creativity, I think, we've got a weird relationship with it. We almost assume that it has to just come, like spring from within. Yeah. Uh, in some cases it can, but I think um, just being a consumer of all different types of art, uh, in my case, I think even consuming movies helps you become a better photographer as well because you're just looking at moving photos. What is, it? what is it but a bunch of tiny pictures? Exactly. Yeah. I think... Those two things are the most important thing, to be willing to receive criticism and not be destroyed by it, and steal like an artist and consume as much art as you can. I think those are the ways you progress as a creative. Yeah, and um, in a second we'll move on, we'll talk about your work as a video essayist, but before we do, um, you mentioned about like studying from giants and taking, taking as an artist. Um, who uh, in like the pop culture realm do you really feel like you're learning from the most? Like who are your giants? Pop culture-wise, hmm. I know of a few pop culture guys that I'm taking a look at pretty often, and I am impressed by their work, and um, I think in particular types of photography, they're definitely like really skilled. But when it comes to how it informs my personal aesthetic, I don't know that there are like personalities that I follow as much as... Um, just like cultivating massive Pinterest boards. But if I could say like who's pretty big and who's like a decent teacher when it comes to starting up, yeah. I think people like Peter McKinnon on YouTube are pretty good at explaining what seems to be 
very complicated sounding subject in relatively simple terms. I know he helped me out when I was understanding rudimentary things like ISO, shutter speed, aperture, those sort of things. Um, but when it comes to like people's art I enjoy, that's not necessarily mainstream or maybe it's becoming mainstream because of his fame. I think of people like Brandon Wolfell or Waffle. I never know how to say his last name. Um, he's got an incredibly interesting color palette, which in theory shouldn't work, but it does. It's lots of blues, very cool temperatures. Right. He loves bokeh, but it's it's really in like the place like bokeh. So it's like <laughs> that like um, interesting effect you get with a with the, with the to explain yeah, for please. people who aren't photographers. <laughs> um, basically, when the background is very blurry right. and those lights in the background turn into those like, like shapes, like orbs of just like like bright colorful light okay, that's, that's what we would call bokeh okay. yeah and brandon wolfell like really goes off the chain with bokeh in really creative ways so uh i think people like him and peter mckinnon would be interesting people to follow and just kind of get a gist for what kind of creativity can happen right. um and just good teachers out there but i would say if you're into the the art directing or just the creative like imagery I would say just go crazy on Pinterest. Yeah. Um, there are two Instagram profiles. I don't know who runs them, but there are two that are like my vein of photography that I'm trying to achieve. One would be um, portrait portraiting. <laughs> I can't say this right. Portraiting. Portraiting. You portraiting. Yeah, such a weird one to say. It's literally just portraits of people, but the creativity is it's pretty wild with that, and. The uh, second one would be Know This Mind. It's almost like every one of their photos is taken out of an indie film. Right. So they have really powerful ways of communicating a story with their image, which I think is the goal. I don't think I'm anywhere near uh, what they're doing, but I, like that is the goal, is to consistently try to land somewhere where they're landing. So. Yeah. Um, would you rather, like, do you, do you think it's more fulfilling to have something like, Wolfell has where it's like a devout group of um, people who are consuming your art or would you rather just be like uh, hey I shot pictures for the Jared Diamond commercial <laughs> go look at that like it's either way yeah. it's still photography but one of them is making a million dollars a year well for instance I've done photo like photography for uh, different companies or right. different events and while they're not photos that I'm like gonna put on my Instagram <laughs> they're photos that those companies are happy with so I think um, it's kind of like you have to find a separation between what you'll do for work and what you'll do for you. And uh, not to say don't give your all to the people you're working for, but like there's my style and then there's what clients ask of me to do. Yeah. And um, I think it's important to be professional and give your all to both. Um, but when it comes to... I totally blanked. What was the question? Um, would you rather have cult fame or general fame? Cult fame. Um, I don't I don't know. Cult fame's kind of cool. It's almost like you can't do anything wrong to those people. Right, those are your fans. Yeah, people but... money. But, like, <laughs> that's true. Brandon Wolfell's got an interesting thing he's doing. I, I would argue he's actually quite big. But he, he navigates on multiple platforms as well. Right. On YouTube, I've seen him... Um, he'll do, like, how-to videos... But he also does this really cool thing where he'll shoot like one model with four photographers and just see what all 
they come out with. Yeah. Um, so he plugs other photographers, which is really cool. But he also sells like prints of like really interesting stuff he does. Right. Um, so I think he's like monetizing himself through that way, which is not a bad idea. Peter McKinnon is huge on YouTube. I don't think the dude has any problem with monetization, but I think he's more known for his video work and he's obviously working for huge clients outside of his yeah. uh, YouTube uh, setting. For me though, um, I'd like to find people who just appreciate the niche that I'm going for because there are so many different types of photography and so many different people who appreciate it or don't appreciate it. Uh, I know that for some reason um, there's a huge a love for this very saturated um, like poppy glowing kind of look for uh, models on Instagram like overexposed almost? yeah well not overexposed it's just like um, the things they do with their skin in Photoshop is almost like crazy like, like a weird glow that's like a almost like yeah like that can't be human yeah, <laughs> to like look first, that good it's yeah it's strange <laughs> but they really love these very saturated looks and i i mean i'm aware that they they look good to a, right. a great deal of people um but i just i don't know i can't i can't uh get into that particular type of style but they're they're hugely famous right and then of course um there's other types of photography like grunge photography which are like really beat up punk inspired or like a gothic inspired photography yeah. um not everybody's cup of tea but creative in its own right so i think it's important to to find your 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 niche and just like those people will love your work and that's important uh especially when you're on a platform where you you're you know gaining traction but i would do stuff that just makes me happy right. you know um you never want to create for an audience I think it's different than and I don't know like a do you have filmmakers who are going to create movies because they want to put butts in seats and they want to get money right and then they're yeah. yeah and then there are filmmakers who they don't care they're going to make what they want you know what yeah. I mean and whether it pleases people or not you know that's not the point um, I'd like to say that that's what I particularly like to do with my photography though I don't think I've done anything that disappoints people or offends them um, but I think the, the more creative you get, you're definitely <laughs> opening yourself up for that. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what's important for me. Yeah. Um, cool. We'll take a small break here, and then we'll go in, and we'll start talking about your work in video essays. Sounds good. your work on YouTube doing video yeah. essays. But I'd really like to talk about <laughs> where you started, which was doing um, recap for recaps for like the entire Star Wars series. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. There's some weird stuff in there. Um I was like I've I've always been in a huge consumer of just YouTube personalities right. and uh, I watched YouTube, I don't know so so much i could probably look at like my screen time for that and just get really really sad, really sad. <laughs> but um i am a huge star wars fan yeah and i think uh youtube it has done a lot of really it's evolved in a lot of really interesting ways um and when you focus on your niche if there's like huge news within your niche it's like you're just like consuming media out the wazoo on youtube yeah. in your niche for months on end 
So, I think I think the time I started to really get into YouTube was like right at the time like the last jedi was just getting railed on <laughs> if i remember correctly you and i were driving somewhere mm -hmm. and you were practically yelling oh we were we were leaving the theater you were leaving and my, i was running out of gas yeah. <laughs> we were talking about how like i had to put it in neutral at every light but also how you were upset that it was my favorite star wars movie. <laughs> yes <laughs> and then like two weeks later it was like if you're gonna see the new one you need to watch this video first. You yeah. Put, like new one, like it, like the way you said new one in the video was like, <laughs> like, like you were just like distancing yourself from as far as you could. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I was salty. Um, you still are. It's okay. Uh, oh yeah, I'm a bit salty now. We'll see how they clean up how they with, with your yeah. Oh yeah, because I love having my expectations <laughs> right. Um, I think it was on the edge of that. There was loads of media coming out about Star Wars, but for that time, I. As upset as the movie makes me, because it's just not something I liked as a right. fan, I'm also not a huge fan of that, like, really toxic, screaming into the microphone on YouTube's type stuff. Let's make these actors hate themselves for acting. Yeah. yeah, like, that. that's a little sick to me, but what it did was it was just making Star Wars topic pop up a lot, and I got really into, like, theory videos and, like, just, you like, went down the rabbit hole. deep dives into, yeah. like, character backgrounds, and so... I really liked seeing the different personalities, and there seemed to be like a lot going for people who were doing Star Wars videos. Yeah. So I was like, "Man, like, what if I, what if I did some Star Wars videos?" <laughs> I was like, "What would I even <laughs> talk about?" And so um, I like I like to break things down. I like to make somewhat complicated and complex things simple, especially for people who normally wouldn't get into something because it seems too complex. I like making that simple. So there's right. just like a gateway to get in. And so I was like, well, let me just start with the Star Wars movies and I'll just like break them down. And so I created like this incredibly brief series called Star Wars Breakdown. Yeah. And so I only made it to like through the prequels. Um, so I would just like go through the whole movie, break it down and like take these like what is the trade federation what's a jedi what's the force who were the sith and just like make them very rudimentary and so people could like either have seen the movie and be like i don't know what the hell i just watched and then like watch that and be like oh yeah i guess that is what happened you know yeah and um i think the next video i made after that pertaining to star wars was this like look back on the clone war series but like yes. the toonami animation kind of one not the 3d one that came out like later around 2008 yeah. yeah so i like went and did this whole video essay on that and exploring like how that existed before the clone wars we have now existed and like just taking a deep dive and like comparing the two yeah and what's really dumb is in the video i was like yeah like the 3d animation clone wars series never ended like it, the plug got pulled on it so they couldn't finish yeah and so there was like kind of this gap in between the content for the 3D animation one into the movies, but there's not that gap in the 2D animation Samurai Jack one. Like right. it, where it ends, Episode Three begins, and so I was like, "Man, well, let me explain to these people who don't know." You know? Yeah. So I had a lot of fun with that. But then, like Disney went and made me look like a fool because, like, I think a couple weeks after making that video, they're like, "Hey, we're bringing the Clone Wars back, and we're wrapping it up right into Episode Three. And I was like, "God damn it!" So, um, so. Um did you get a good response from these videos? Like, were you getting like a good amount of views for someone who is new to the algorithm? Like, uh, if you're mm. posting your first video, it's not going to be recommended beyond like maybe 
your face, like whoever sees it on your Facebook page. You know what I mean? Yeah. At first, um, I was surprised. Uh, the episode one and two videos got a thing about like fourteen hundred views, which right. is like not a whole lot comparatively. But yeah, like you for also me, have like subscribers. That's yeah, yeah. So, but my episode three one had about five thousand views. Um, I think it's just because episode three tends to be more of a popular film than one and two. Right. But um, and then my Clone Wars series one that dipped down to twelve hundred. Um, and then I was like, I kind of got tired of making Star Wars content. I don't know why. Um, or maybe I, tr I wanted to juggle both that and something else I was like really into, which was like this anime called Attack on Titan. We'll and, attack that in a second. <laughs> yeah. But making these like Star Wars videos, um, it was like, it was con it wasn't bad content. Like I was really putting a lot of like production effort into right. these videos in fact i think one person commented on my video and they're like how is this channel so small and i was like oh that's that's nice Thanks. that uh, they said that yeah <laughs> uh, the last star wars video i made was i compared the box office winnings of all the star wars movies yeah. i felt like a very like watch mojo type of video i remember that one it did i remember you like i don't remember exactly but you made some like really like weird line about like inflation Right, yeah, because well, you have so many of these movies, um, like they come out like like half of them came out yeah. in the like like eighties, yeah. and so they had to be adjusted for inflation. But the other ones came out in early two thousand, so it's adjusted for inflation. Um, what's hilarious though is on that video, I got a negative comment. This guy was just like, "Are you telling me that the Phantom Menace made more money than the Last Jedi? I think this is fake." And I was like. <laughs> I wasn't really offended. <laughs> I was like, I put so much research into this video. I adjusted for inflation. So I think I commented like, here's the like IMDB box office link to all the adjusted right. inflation ones. Um, I try to be really nice about it. But yeah, what was weird is um, I like had to talk like almost in like a higher pitch than I normally do. Yeah. I, ha I felt like I had to be gleeful and happy and very YouTuber kind of. Yeah. yeah. And that, I don't know. I didn't like that. After like repeat viewings, I was like, man, that's that's not a little me. weird. That's not me. Yeah. So you garner an audience at YouTube and um, off your Star Wars videos, right? And you could probably justifiably say if you made another Star Wars video soon after that, those people would come back. Yeah, or, probably. Um, at at that point, you've got you know four or five videos in your catalog. So every time you post a new video, your older videos are being watched, and that is the start of, for lack of better terms, like career entertainment. But then you you post a, 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 a episode recap of the anime Attack on Titan. That's right, yeah. What was that decision for? Well, I think um, I was, like, getting kind of, like, I loved Star Wars, but, like, making Star Wars videos seems kind of like a chore at some point. Right. Um, and I honestly didn't know where to go next. But around that time, Attack on Titan Season 3 premiered. Right. And I was so hype about it. <laughs> I think some somewhere along the lines, I was like, I wonder if people who like Star Wars like Attack on Titan. But one is this massive pop culture phenomenon, and one is like, you know, it's an anime that's doing quite well, but it's still it's like not Star Wars, not Star Wars yeah. right? Um, but I went, I did this like episode recap. I think I did that for two or three episodes, yeah. and there just was no bites. I was yeah. like, oh, man, I must have really screwed up my brand here. So, uh, yeah. 
it was it wasn't too good i i, I remember um so at, at that time I, w- I was coming over to your apartment more often i would always i would come in and you would be watching attack on titan <laughs> yeah. and you'd always be like well you've got to check it out but when you check it out check out my episodes <laughs> yeah. so you know what's going on and i was like yeah totally yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, shameless plug do you think it was the i mean do you think it really was the fact that attack on titan isn't big enough or do you think you might have released it just at the wrong time um because i mean these things do have trends right well the people who have huge followings for attack on titan were doing quite well right and i think like my my mind was like oh well if star wars is doing well as a topic and i jump in and make star wars videos and those get views maybe if attack on titan is doing well as a topic i make videos about that they get views right and for whatever reason algorithm or what it yeah. just that's not how that turned out but i was i was wondering if i should make myself kind of like an entertainment youtube where i just like like looked at specific entertainment just as a subcategories and was like let me review all these because i noticed some yeah. people have success doing that but i think i just i didn't know what else to add other than star wars and attack on titan and pretty much i was like in a creative funk and i pretty much just Cut. dropped it right. <laughs> all um, of it <laughs> and i mean if, if this were a story it would be like and that was the death of the channel right except for that it's not right. um was it two months ago at this point now yeah two months um, it popped up on my Facebook timeline, and you were like, "Hey, I did a like it was like a twenty minute video yeah. on like it was like your World War Two presentation." It was, um, and I was like, "Oh, the boy's back!" <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I did a um, kind of like a mini documentary. Yeah, um, it feels like a History Channel like exclusive thing, <laughs> but I I'm in love with history, and right. I love the education of history. And just the like the infinite inspiration history has for storytelling. Right. Um, but more importantly, I am very interested in World War II, um, not just as an event, but its ramifications on the world. And so, as a media communi- as a media and communications student, I was wondering what it would be like to take a subject like World War II and analyze its influence on American media. And I thought, there's no, no one's going to watch this. No one's going to care about right. this. Um, but I had such a passion and zeal for the subject. And then it didn't hurt that it would be a really dope resume a topic. So yeah. I, uh, I ended up making a 20-minute video analyzing World War II's impact on propaganda filmmaking, um, movies in general, video games, and technology. Right. Um, did it did it do well or? I'd say so. Uh, I I had it on Facebook initially. Right. And I think it garnered like up to four hundred views just on my MCBS page alone. Right. And then I did it on my personal page, which had another three hundred. Right. On YouTube, I don't think it has a lot, but um, it has a steady climb as I as I've I've yeah. seen. And so I think if I keep at it with these video essays, which are longer to make but a higher quality sort of content i think that's a subcategory or like a niche that really gets a lot of people to stay 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's the YouTuber I'm sure you're familiar with, um, Under the Rabbit Hole, mm-hmm. Down the Rabbit Hole, oh my goodness, yeah. um, who once every like four months will come out with a video on anything. Right. Um, I think his last video was about the instrument, the hurdy-gurdy. Right. Like, he reveals to have been playing himself for, very, for like so many years. Um, <laughs> or like the, uh, there's a YouTuber who used to go by top 10 memes and is now Let Me Know, yes. and he just puts out these like incredible video essays, but they're like, I think like three or four a year. Yeah. But yeah, I was kind of thinking maybe that's the route I'd go. I'm actually working on a video essay on the Spanish Inquisition right now. Of all things, right? It's like <laughs> who would suspect the Spanish? <laughs> who would expect? <laughs> but um, it's something that I'm I'm trying to team up with more people now. Yeah. I I don't want to just have it to where I'm working on it. Much like a lot of because like the workload is pretty intense. Yeah. But also because I think. If I have like animators or people who were like really good with stylistic editing, that we could really ramp up the quality and pull more people in. And it's also a cool avenue to kind of network with friends and get them to utilize their skill sets yeah. in really tangible ways yeah. outside of school. I mean, that was the birth of, of this project here was like uh, a friend of mine released an EP who will be on this as soon as I can get to University of West Georgia. And I was <laughs> like, this is so good. But and then I got really sad because I was like, he's not he's not marketing it because he just wants to release, and I was like, and it will die without yeah. being analyzed. And right. I was like, no, damn it! Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting my friends together. Um, yeah. So uh, it's really good that you can recognize that now. Mm. Um, also, there's the idea, and this is just me personally. Whenever I'm watching a channel and it feels like there's a team of people behind it, like um, the Game Grumps, for example, I feel a lot more impressed with what they put out than with an Austin McConnell who is only him, because then I'm a lot more susceptible to scrutinize when there's a mistake right and that's probably just me personally i don't know if it's like a, a general thing but mm-hmm. there was an episode of game Ruff such a long ago where the audio was out of sync by like four seconds um, oh man that's a lot that's quite a bit and i was like oh it's just the new editor it's fine <laughs> but if that was released on like your channel mm-hmm. where it's just you i'd be like dude why are you messing up right um and so it's i'm, I'm glad you're trying to like build your suicide squad <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, my in-house kind of indie developers. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, going back to Lovecraft, I mean, if you don't have that, mm-hmm. you, you don't get to grow. I mean, Frankenstein was written on a bet, but it was also curated by a bunch of fellow writers and stuff like that. Right. Um, shout out to Mary Shelley and Lord Byron. You know? That's right. <laughs> and opioids. Lots of opioids. <laughs> um, which, I mean, you do what you gotta do. Um, so you said you can see yourself doing this I don't want to say indefinitely, but like in the near future. For sure. I think um, it really, well, for one, it, it gives me the ability to also remain a student of like literally academics. Right. So I'll like sink my teeth into like something historically related, like just a very specific topic and I'll learn it through and through and then I'll analyze it and I'll, I'll find a way like, okay, this is just information on its own, but how do we... How do we convert this information to be a story? Right. Because World War II and everything I said in the video, it's a lot of information. But I didn't want to say it as information. I wanted to say it so you can feel emotion or you can feel inspired. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted it to have this very human aspect to the way it was given. And I would love to continue making all manner of historical videos, not just American uh, history. I just lo- would love to do history of the world, which is why the Spanish Inquisition was next on my list. Because right. it's something not a lot of American, like North Americans, yeah. are going to be incredibly familiar with. But 
um, Europeans and South Americans would find a lot of interest in the analyzation of that. And I would like to kind of like get an audience that's not just yeah. Northern Americans. So. Um, you'd be surprised what um, specific analyzation of content does. Uh, there's a YouTuber who analyzes Garfield comics who was able to find out that Garfield was Garfield, for lack of a better term, Garfield number one was released like three years before anyone knew. Like, and so he's got like his name is Quentin Reviews. He's got tons of subscribers, but he does video essays on Garfield. <laughs> wow. um, I watch him because it's it's the history of Garfield is strange. So I'm in. But yeah. um, you'd be surprised by like knowing if you know what you want going in, what you get out of it, um, which it sounds like you've been able to find mm-hmm. um, through Star Wars and anime now into history right um do you have any long-term goals for this uh side project of yours um i think what it does is it allows me to kind of build an arsenal of like a library of like really interesting deep dives into parts of human history that have affected and altered the world in like these ripple effects i think those are the type of historical moments i'm trying to analyze um I would like to kind of have this sort of library grow and maybe catch the eye of more influential figures or um, studios. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed at all to to creating like larger format, bigger budget type right. of things. Because um, getting that phone call that's like, come join our network. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, it just kind of starts out as passion projects, but it yeah. evolves into maybe I can make a living off of this sort of thing. Yeah. It's kind of a big dream, but um, I think any sort of like uh, dedication you can put toward it helps that dream be a little bit more plausible because I don't think anything of quality happens on accident, and I yeah. think most people can see that. So. If you're creating quality content, you're going to catch the eye of somebody who's who's going to notice that and maybe help that become monetizable. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. However, you know, the, like we were talking about with your friends who stopped taking pictures, it's like there is no date. Right. It's not like June second, twenty twenty one. Jimmy Kimmel's going to call you and be like, "You want to make my documentary?" Like that's not going to exactly. Um, as weird as that would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Let's say, let's say you garner an audience. Um, at what point would you say that, like, is there, is there a number, I should say, of, like, subscribers for you to be like, okay, this is no longer a side project, this is my job? I guess at whatever point there are enough followers to, like, monetize my videos in such ways <laughs> that it takes care of my pills. <laughs> yeah. At that point, I'd be like, oh, well, maybe I should really focus on this. Although that's kind of risky. I've heard of some horror stories where YouTubers will just up and quit their job because they've got um, so many subscribers who are now like making their videos incredibly monetizable. But then like there's a dry spell and maybe there's not as much views. And so now the bills are barely getting paid and it's like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't quit my day job. (laughs) So I think um, I want to keep a safety net, but as a creator, a photographer, videographer, uh, even um, graphic designer sometimes, I like to think most of my work is going to be freelance or like for hire kind of creative work uh, unless I land in like an in-house media like right. studio or something like you that. Like land in a magazine. Right. Right. So I think I'll be doing a lot of this stuff on the side until 
something else piques my interest. But for this, it's like gonna be work that takes a lot of time, takes a lot of study. So I don't think I'm just gonna drop that. Like it's something that keeps me engaged, which is super important than making like two minute Star Wars videos. (laughs) That's that's an argument that um, a lot of people have put out when it comes to video essayists is we the, the attitude is we don't need anymore. Um, I I don't need another. This is how David Fincher directs. David mm-hmm. Fincher. David Lynch. Oh my god. <laughs> David Lynch directs. I, I at this point either I know or I don't care. Right. Um, I don't need a. Here's what Tarantino thinks of his audiences as seen in his films. I know. Yeah. I've seen the videos. <laughs> yeah. um, there is such a thing as uh, too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm I'm glad you're not just like I'm gonna make it about movies or entertainment in general um and i hope that you recognize that like you have to while while we do have to steal from artists we also have to keep ourselves in the mix right because if you steal too much then all of a sudden you're just an amalgamation of nothing exactly you got to give something that that needs to be a little stolen from so (laughs) eventually someone will look up to you right um which is something that's constantly terrifying is that one day our yeah. journals will be read and our graves will be dug up. And that's something yeah. for a different kind of podcast. <laughs> uh, it is something that we should be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, we're coming up in an hour, so I'm probably going to cut it. Sounds good. <laughs> here. Um, yeah. It's been great. I'm very glad you came and you were very open and honest with your answers. I'm very um, happy to be on it. So far, I haven't had a problem with it. I'm waiting on the first person to be like, uh, I create... God gives me stories and puts them in my mind, and that's how I do this. You might want to talk to uh, Pure Flix about that one. Pure Flix, yeah. uh, Face Four. Films, yeah. Like Whoever wrote God's Not Dead. <laughs> oh man, I could go on forever about those guys. Um, yeah, so thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you want to shout out your Instagram one more time? Yeah, sure. So my photography right. Instagram yeah. is an auspicious moment. That's the handle. Right. So. Uh, you want to spell that out? Yeah, that's A-N-A-U-S-P-I-C-O-U-S, moment, M-O-M-E-N-T. Right. Man, that was kind of hard. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I hope they don't think I'm trying to like call them out. Yeah. I almost like, got a little, a little stuck uh, there. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming by and listening to my interview with Austin Dunn. Next week, I'm sitting down with Mickey Sims and discussing her career so far as a drag king. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show over at the Little Guys 3 on Twitter and at TLG Podcast on Instagram.